We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Thursday, Thursday, December eighth. It's Thirsty Thursday. What are you thirsty about? It'll all be up to you, right? What we do to, throughout the course of the week. This show is pretty much sculpted by you in the YouTube chat. I see Wataz here early as usual. Good morning, Wataz. Adam Meisen, Bart B, Kickstart, Suki Singh. A minute left. Suki seems coming in pretty, pretty late. 10.59. What was Suki doing? I have no idea. Daniel Hutchings is here. Jay Willie. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Give me those thummy thubs. Uh, Daniel Hutchings, uh, you know, nerdy tenor uh, that played. Uh, he was off for uh, on Saturday for MMA. So uh, maybe you could type in a little about uh, the, the late swap experience. Uh I saw saw a lot of uh, chatter on uh, on Twitter about uh, MMA late swap stuff, which I agree with. Some of it I agree with, and some of it I don't agree with. For the large field stuff, it's not as dram- it's not as dramatic as necessary. And we, and we kind of talked about it that like in large field stuff, you pretty much need to find the optimal anyway, right? No matter what you're late swapping to or whatever, like whatever ends up being the optimal lineup. That that's all. That's all you need. I mean, it, it, whether or not you started with it or you finished with it, it doesn't affect. It doesn't affect you that much. Would you like to rescue lineups that have no chance at winning first place? Sure, but most of most of the EV as far as late swapping is going to be for for that purpose for rescuing min caches. Uh, in you know, 150 of your lineups. I I, I think I talked about this on uh, the Theory of DFS podcast with 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 Neil that. Like I'm pl- I'm now playing just the small field stuff. Okay. Like the, the 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 small field stuff. So the 555, the $200 three max, the $100 uh single entry, the qualifiers, I guess, right? You know, stuff like that. 
but like more geared towards like the five five five. Uh a lineup that I could rescue a min cash in the five 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 is worth like what? How many in a in, in the twenty-five dollar version of the large field contest? That's like twenty, that's like what, twenty-seven lineups? That's like saving twenty-seven lineups in large field. And I don't even know if you're gonna be able to save that many lineups if you play 150 of them. Uh, by late swapping to to min cash equity. So like in the grand scheme of things, in the large field contests, like most of your late swap is going to be to get a get a lineup that already has one loss in it to the to cash line, get five wins, get four good wins in it. Uh, but in your overall perspective of large field play, most of your money comes in winning first place, right? So you could rescue all you want for... 100 slates. If you don't win first place once, you're not going to be profitable regardless of how, how many min caches you save. But in the 555, saving the min cache is, is a lot. And because you don't need the optimal, being able to swap out to a lower owned guide here and a higher variance fighter there, like it gives you more shots. I mean, it gives you more shots at winning first place. You, 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 don't, need anywhere, you don't need anywhere near the optimal. In the 555, typically. I mean, that I mean, look, the lineup that I won with uh what two weeks ago for 30k, like had a losing fighter and it didn't even have the highest scoring fight, didn't even have the highest scoring fighter in the in the lineup. Didn't need it, didn't actually need it. It would have came my lineup would have came in like like 70th place in the large field, but it won the five five five. So, like late swap for those purposes, I think it's I think is immense. People that are downplaying that for the smaller field stuff, I, I I don't I don't know what they're what they're not seeing. It's so much. It's so e- it's so easy to figure out because there's so few lineups that you have to even look at or consider, and go, what lineups am I competing against, and how do I build a different structure to those to those lineups that I can't win? So, like I I mentioned two weeks ago about those Tercios lineups when he, when he got 116 points and I don't have them. I'm like, I can't build, I can't have my lineups that look like Tercios lineups. And what, how many Tercios lineups are there? He's like 15% owned. So I go and go and I take a look at what these Tercios lineups look like, even with like spaces that, you know, obviously because the late swap, it hasn't, hasn't locked yet. So I don't know, you know, two empty spots in people's lineups. And I go, no, they, they have to, they, they have to play some seven, some on seven K underdog in these lineups. Right. So it's like okay, well, I, I in the lineups that I'm trying to beat those lineups, I can't have I can't have a, I can't have Sherman, I can't have Goodalaba in that, in that on that slate, and then swapping out from there and go okay, how do I make my construction different? How do I swap off of one of these two guys to another seven K guy? In the large field stuff, like you have to go through way too many lineups to figure that out, and even. Even if you do, like you're not going to get the optimal anyway because you don't have the, the top scoring fighter in your lineup. So all you're really doing is is all you're really doing is still rescuing min caches at that point. But if you're going to play the large field stuff just to build the optimal end, I, I I I think is there EV to be gained with late swap? Absolutely. But can you play the large field stuff and just lock it in and? forget about it and just watch, watch the card. I think so. I, 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 I don't think you're, you're, you're losing that much. I don't think so at least, but I mean, I, that's what I, I want. I want to hear from, from nerdy tenor on his experience in doing so.
Daniel Hodges says, I think for large field late swap is mostly going to be about saving lineups and getting more min caches. Well, there you go. But it's going to be hard to do unless you have something automated. Right. Yeah. For 150 lineups. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it manually for eight lineups and it's a pain in the ass. Right. I'm sitting on the couch every 20 minutes. What fight is coming up next? What information do I know? And I talked about it last week on, on, on the Friday MMA show that you could watch, right? The pregame show from last Friday and go, what game are you playing? Looking at the lineup, what game am I playing? Am I playing min cash game? Or am I playing win first place game? And you have to determine that and then build your lineups accordingly. And then, of course, I back into, like, I had eight, eight lineups yesterday, uh, last week, that I, I saved three of them. They didn't win first. They didn't win. They didn't win. I, but I saved three lineups, which for like a five fifty five or a two hundred dollar three max, you know, to get from two hundred dollars to four hundred dollars rather than zero, or to get from five fifty five from zero to a thousand, is a lot. Right? Like, uh oh, I got, I got, I got a loss in this lineup. Okay, let me switch to to Angela Hill. Let me switch to Eric Anders. Let me switch to the to the underdogs that have low lower ceilings and are in matchups that are more likely to go to distance. Lower variance fighters. And it just turns out that they scored well also. So that helped me, right? So you, you're switching to that. And then on the other lineups where I have a shot, maybe I have a shot at winning, then that, that's the line by Pavlovich, right? Other, otherwise, I don't. I, I don't have, I don't, I already have a loss or two in my lineup. So like, what, what's what's the 144 going to really do for me? I mean, I'm not going to win first. I just want to get to the cash line as easy as possible. Daniel says, if you look at my lineups in the main GPP from last weekend, you'll find I had a bunch of dupes with myself. And this was due to late swap. Oh, so oh, so you ended up swapping. Oh, okay. But but truthfully, did you did you have dupes? See, it looks like you did you have dupes in lineups that didn't have a shot at first place? Like that's that's really the key. Like I see, like you said, Thompson, Pavlovich, Levy, Pierce, Rojo. Deleeds it. Yeah, because Rojo was in an early fight, right? So Rojo was in like the, I think the second fight. So, so Rojo lost. So you had no, so it duping to come in first place sucks, right? But duping like maybe the best option to rescue your lineups, right? Right. Marce- he says Marcelo lost, lost it. Right. So when, once Rojo loses all your lineups with Rojo in it, your goal is to just, how do I min cash? But you may have, like in a 150 set, maybe you have, maybe you have 20 lineups that have Rojo in it only. And none of the first fight, right? You didn't have Jeregui in it, right? And now you're sitting there before the third fight with one loss and five spots in your lineup. Well, you probably should be swapping all of those Rojo lineups to Mintash style lineups, which means you're probably going to dupe yourself, which is perfectly fine at the Mintash line. Right, because you have all those spots there. Right? I mean, like you, you got a thousand, two thousand spots that are min cashing. So who cares if you duped? Right, it's to, only towards the top of the payout structure do you care about duplication. So yeah, I could see even if you're even if you're automating it, that'll just change all of those lineups into to ones that they may all look the same. They may be the same exact lineup. That may be fine. You run a little train. You, you try to catch the train all at once. But yeah, but in large field, you're, you're mostly you're mostly doing that. Hey, truthfully, in small field, you're mostly doing that also. It's very hard to get like the perfect lineup. As you know, you're five fights in. You may you may not have any lineups that are live for first. 
That's 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 what it was for me this this past week. I played a lot of Rojo and I played a lot of Valdez. Second fight, third fight, both underdogs. They both lost. Three out of my eight lineups had Uregui, who you needed. So I had three Uregui lineups. So those it's like I'm playing for first after the first fight. The other ones, I don't know. I don't think I am. And then Rojo loses. And I have Rojo. Out of my three Uregui lineups, I have Rojo, Valdez in one. I have Rojo in another. And I have Valdez in another. So after the third fight, even my Uregui lineups have one loss or two losses in it. So those lineups aren't playing for first place. So now all I'm doing is just, now Now that's why I have a lot of Kevin Holland. That's why I have a lot of Eric and, I have, uh, uh, Anders and Hill, right? I switched to a lot of Hill. You know, okay, got to move down to Hill. Get me an 80-point decision. That's fine with me, right? But I was able to save, I was able to save two out of my eight lineups. That would, if I left alone, would have not, would have not cashed at all. So I moved off of two of us. I moved Ty to Avasa out and Eric Anders in. I moved uh, another, another, uh, what, uh, some mid-range guy down to uh, Hill at 7,900. And then I bumped up, like, instead of playing Pavlovich, I got all the way up to, like, Dos Anjos with that 600. Like, let me just guarantee myself, gar- virtually guarantee myself a win there. So I had a lot of Dos Anjos, Pierce, Nicolau style lineups. With Anders and Hill, I mean, and they did well. And say and save it. I mean, this is the type of stuff you could be doing in in, in NBA and NFL, and I mean, this is what you should be doing in general. Daniel says someone also pointed to me that I had some lineups with canceled fighters in it, uh, and just because those lineups had exactly zero dollars equity in my process, just swapped randomly in those cases. Oh, okay. Right, so probably, probably like when when you're swapping later in the slate and you have like four losses in there, like I don't think it matters. Like two big wins ain't going to get you to the cash line with four losses in it. Right, he, he has an example lineup. Cortez, Jacasey, Elkins, Price, Rojo, Hermanson. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Strawface23 says, yesterday's show was arguably one of the most valuable shows Blender has ever had. If anyone is new here, I highly suggest after the show, go back and wait Rochester. Was it a good show? I yelled at people for like an hour. Tough love. Sometimes you got to yell at people. Because I don't get it. It's more of a frustration. I don't get how I could do this show every single day and... I see the same names asking the same questions a year or two later. Like I'm watching and I go like, what, what, what are you doing with yourself? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'm an, I am always in a constant state of learning. Always. I don't know at all. <coughs> I can make hypotheses. I could look into things. I could do some trial and error. <coughs> I could study winning players and see are there things that I believe that would be good play that they're doing or they're doing less of or more of or something and just constantly thinking about, well, if this applies to this, how does it apply to that? If it doesn't apply to this, how how does it not apply to that? So when people are saying like, oh, MMA, late swap MMA doesn't matter. Like it can't not matter. Okay. It's a simple, simple 
concept of game theory. The more information you have, the more op- the closer to optimal you can make your decisions. Like end of story. It's the fundamental theorem of poker. Did you play your hand in a in in a way where it would be optimal if you saw your opponent's cards? The answer is yes. Then why wouldn't you want to see your opponent's cards or want to know what comes out on the turn or something? It's the same thing in DFS. Maybe we're arguing the scale of, of how much of an edge that provides, but to say that it means nothing, that would be wrong. It has to mean something. Right, I was trying to explain in the in the in the Blender's Game Theory channel, for instance, which you could you could get if you're a Roto Grinders premium member. You could ask all anything you want there. So sign up for Roto Grinders, click on the link in the description, get ten dollars off your first month. But someone asked me there about NBA late swap. Like, like what happens if you late swap and you pick you already picked this play or whatever? And I'm I'm like, get back to basics. Like, what what why does why is their edge for late swap it's simply because you have more information that's it that's it that's 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 the number one thing so like how many times should you swap throughout an nba night i go optimally after like every second optimally after literally after every second every 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 time the score changes that's when you should be swapped now how much of an effect every every bucket Probably, probably not necessary, but that means you have more information. At 7.15, uh, on this slate coming up, this three-game slate, we have a 7.30 game, an 8.30 game, a 10 o'clock game. The first game locks at 7.30, which means you could get you could change the other two games and change the lineups. At 7.45 or whenever the tip-off is, right, someone on Miami will score, right? Jimmy Butler scores a bucket. Well, that's more information than you had, you had 15 minutes ago because he now has two points. <clears throat> how does that affect the lineups that you play? You'll also know all the ownership of all the Clippers and all the heat. Now that if, if, if Jimmy Butler is 28% owned instead of you thought it was going to be 18% owned, how, how does that affect your decisions? Now that you know that information, is there anything that you want to change in your lineups? And as the game goes on and on, oh, this guy gets a rebound. This guy gets a foul. This guy subs out, whatever. It's just more and more information to allow you to continually make decisions. You have decisions to make. There's no late swap. You'd just be sitting there, hands off the wheel. There's nothing you could do. It doesn't matter what happens. But sequentially, it's it's not a simultaneous game anymore. If it was no late swap, it would just be a simultaneous game. Everyone makes all their decisions simultaneous at once, and everything's done. It's it's become a it's become a sequential game. So if you know at half times, you know someone is totally snowflaking at forty two percent ownership. How does that affect the lineups that you have that you could swap different players in and out of? Scale that to any way you want, as little or as, as big as you want. So you could do swap. You could swap every five minutes to maximize for the information that you already have. Especially when a lot of the field isn't isn't doing anything. They're like they're like nope. We're, our lineups look the same way that they are as if if we didn't know any ownership or any score. Right? They look like as it was at seven thirty. But you have the option to now change your lineups. You know, you know halftime scores. You know ownership. You know, 
You know, stuff that's going on. I'm not saying like, oh, oh there's an injury in the, the, the new starting lineup. Some guy's out in one of the later games. I'm talking about, we know information from the first game right now. How much is it worth swapping? That's a different story. How much, you know, how to quantify that. But to say it doesn't matter at all, that, that's that's wrong. That's just simply incorrect. So like when we're talking about the late swap in MMA for large field, does it matter? Yes, of course it matters. But does it matter to the extent in which you shouldn't play the slate at all unless you could late swap 150 lineups in large field? Maybe not. You may not be giving up as much much edge as originally intended. You're, it's a lot of saving min caches. But as far as winning first place, probably probably not that much. But it's it's not no. It's not zero effect. Daniel Hudgens says, if late swap doesn't matter, I just wasted three days of my life. The fact that it took you three days, only three days to build whatever the hell... Whatever, super super AI, the robots, Skynet. You had Skynet put together. The Terminator is helping you out. Putting together how to, how to do all those swaps. I'm just doing it manually. I just do it conceptually manually. I'm, built, I'm eight lineups. I'm just being an eight lineup guy now. Six to eight lineups. I mean, for the, for the, the, the UFC card coming up, I have a whole bunch of 555 tickets, so. I got uh, four 555 tickets. So I could have four of those lineups. I could have the $200, the $100. Then I have the amalgamation of the 55 and the 40 and the 12 all put together. Daniel says, from what he saw the last late, not many players are trying to figure out swaps on the main GPPs. Either they're not trying to figure out or they don't have a process yet. I know I know some 150 men. I, 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 I've talked to one or two that that they have they had they they have a process but i guess maybe it's hard to tell if they're swapping or not because you, you how would you know the next fight locks and bing and then you see like you sure what people started with i don't know but to say there's no effect of course there's an effect now like an nfl showdown obviously there's there's no late there's no nothing that is <coughs> a simultaneous game. <coughs> but to think that late swap is only for like an NBA, like, oh, we got to see what the Spurs lineup is going to be. Like, no, it's like, you know, you know what's in other people's lineups. And you could, you could think of it in the same way. To some extent, there's a lot more. Pl- there, obviously, there's a lot more options on an NBA slate or an NFL slate or something like that. So it's quite possible that the highest scoring player or whatever at two percent on may not even be in the winning lineup. It's not like MMA where that guy's probably going to be in the winning lineup. So, like, you could think the same way. Let's say, let's say on tonight's slate, you fade Kelton, or let's say who's in the early game. Miami Clippers, well, let's say let Tyler Hero or Jimmy Butler. Let's say at halftime, Jimmy Butler's already put up like 38 fantasy points and you don't have them. 
Well, what do you play? Now, you could do the same thing that we talked about with MMA. What do you play? You're playing the large you're playing the large field GPP, and you don't have Jimmy Butler, who's most likely going to put up a lot of, I mean, he's at 38 at the half. You're probably going to need him to win. And you don't have him in your lineup, in one of your lineups. You should be swapping out your lineup to, like, try to min-cash as much as possible. You're not going to, you're not competing for first place anymore. What game are you playing? You're playing min-cash game. Then in your Jimmy Butler lineups at the half of this game with this the Rockets-Spurs game coming up, though now you're playing a win in those lineups. So you're going to late swap one set of your, your, your non-Jimmy Butler lineups to like safe lineups. Like, can I just get right up to the cash line? That's all I need. That's all I need. Then your Jimmy Butler lineups, now it's like, how do I add more variants so I could leapfrog even more people? People think the other way. People think too much of the other way. Oh, I got, I now I got to go. I don't have Butler. I got to get really weird. Like, no, that, that, that top 5% of the payout curve, that hockey blade, that's unavailable to you. You don't have, you don't have the, the player that mo- enough people have that to get in that range anyway. So don't try to even bother getting there. Just try to get, just try to get to the start of the, the handle of the hockey stick. Right, Daniel says NBA late swap is conceptually the same, but much more difficult to practice because the number of opponent combos is astronomically larger. Right, I said there's a there's a lot more options, and also you don't necessarily need the optimal to win. Right, maybe on a three game slate, but on like a normal size ten game NBA slate, <coughs> there are plenty of two percent on guys that put up a lot of points that may not even you may not need to win the GPP, but in a smaller like MMA, small field golf type of thing. Yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna need you're gonna need the winner. You're probably gonna need the winner. James Aguirre says PMR factors into it as well. If you have Butler with more PMR than other Butler lineups, you could just plug in the highest projection to that point. Not necessarily. You don't know. You don't know what players. Doesn't matter about PMR. Right, they're not right, just like Daniel brings up. They're not evenly distributed throughout the game. You don't necessarily have to go by PMR. If you have Butler with more PMR than other Butler liners, but you don't know what 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 players you're sharing. You don't know anything. <coughs> I would do the opposite. That's 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 see, that's the thing that you're you're doing the opposite of what's optimal. If you have the highest Butler lineup, what should you be doing? You should be adding variance to your lineups. You're competing for first place. People do it the other way. Now, if you want to block, you have to be you have to be absolutely and unequivocally sure that you're blocking in order to do that. Other than that, I'd much rather I'd rather, I'd much rather take on more leverage. Give myself even more shots to beat out other people, because if you're wrong about blocking, you've li- you've literally blocked yourself out of first place. Okay, people think the opposite. It's the it, it's not the opposite. When you're behind, and you cannot win first place, you should be playing the highest projected line. Okay. But you need both those characteristics. 
okay? That you have no shot at first place, that you're not playing for first. You're not playing for 10th. You're not playing for anything close to the top 1%. Most people think, oh, I got to get there. I got to make up ground. Yeah, of course, you've still got to make up. Yes, you do have to make up ground, but you're never going to get to the top 1%. So taking on so much more risk now, like how much more risk should you be taking on? You just have to get up to the cash line. That's it. So taking out all your 40% owned players at NBA and putting 2% in, like, you shouldn't be doing that. Be like, oh, I don't have Butler. Okay, let me just jam in as many projection points as possible and get right to that cash line, and then I'm good. I don't have to get anything past there. Who cares about the rest of the the payout structure? It doesn't matter anymore to you. Now, once you're at the top of the payout structure, once you're competing at the top, it's more important to be different then it needs to be the same unless you're absolutely sure that you're blocking other people behind you. And when and if you if you're sitting there with two say you, you only have three players going in this slate and there's five empty slots, good luck figuring out who your opponents have. Good luck, good luck. You have four, you have three other, you have other games. I mean, this is the three game slate. Imagine we're talking about a 10 game slate. Like you don't know. You don't know what that, most of these lines even look like. You go, well, this guy's going to be more chalky than that guy's going to be more chalky. And then the next thing that happens is that you play too safe, you lower your variance, and you end up sharing too many players. Even though you have like one extra spot or something like that, you're sharing too many players with people competing against you. And one person has some 4% on guy that in the later game puts up 60 points and, you, and you're dead. They start, they pass you and now they're blocking you. And you're looking at your lineup going, well, I just pressed the best projected lineup. And said, yeah, and now you're blocked. Wouldn't have been better if you like sacrifice two or three points in projection and now have a 4v4 off of so many other lineups that no one shares all four of those players. They'll share one, they'll share two, but they won't share all four. But once you start jamming in all the chalk, like if one, if one other player's differential goes past you, you've now blocked yourself out of first place. So truthfully, mathematically, the closer you are playing to first place, the more variance you should be adding to your lineup because you're you're playing for first. You're not playing to make sure you come in eighth. Now, if that's your goal to make sure you come in eighth, at least, then fine. Play all the chalk at that point. But other than that, you should be playing for first and go, okay. Yeah, I got this guy in. I got that guy in. But how could I, how could I still be different? Because there are going to be plenty of in this example Butler lineups that have uh, two other chalk pieces in it also, and another differentiated piece here, and an, another differentiated piece there. I'd rather I'd rather be a three v three or a four v four off of a lot of those lineups than a one v one, unless you're perfect, right? That's why I said unless you know for sure. That you're block that you that you could block as many other people as possible without getting blocked yourself. Now, in the first game, let's say in the first game you have a one percent on guy that goes off for ninety. Obviously, it's an exaggeration. The likelihood of of seeing your opponents have all the chalk with that one is is very is very low. So at that point, like you could be quite sure. That you're the only person with that 90.1 percenter that you could just block everyone. Just 
basically swap out, run the projections, and just go, give me the chalkiest lineup with the rest of the spots. And now you're blocking everyone. Absolutely. But you're never going to be in the, you're rarely ever going to be in that situation. You're going to be playing, you're going to be playing a 32% don't guy that puts up 62. You go, okay. So you're still competing. A third of the lineups in the contest still have that player in. So how do I block, how do I block 5,000 lineups? Good luck. Most likely if you're, if you're jamming in the top projected lineup from that point, you're going to be overlapped with so many more of those 5,000 lineups, which is great when you're ahead. But how do you block all 5,000? You can't. One player get one player that you don't have in the later game goes for, you know, is 4,800 and goes for 42 points. And you have some other $4,800 player. Well, now, now, now that lineup and the 80 other people that have that player are now blocking you. So the, so the more that you're playing for first place, you do we do this before the slate begins. Okay? Don't change what you're going to do that it people think differently. Once all of a sudden the slate locks, they think the game flips on its head. What are you doing before lock? For GPPs. I'm building a lineup that has high enough projection and low enough ownership. Not just playing your cat. You're not going in going, I'm just going to play the cash line. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go to lineup HQ. I'm going to put in two zeros, press the button, right? 263.24 based on our current projections right now. This is the, this is a, the cash lineup, right? All these high owned players, high median values. There you go. Would you do this at 7.30? Would you say, I'm playing large, I'm trying to play for $100,000, try to beat 50,000 lineups, and I'm going to play this? Of course not. You'd be like, why the hell are you playing Why are you playing the cash lineup in GPP? It doesn't have enough leverage. It does, you're sharing too many points with too many people, right? Then, but, how, but how come, like, it seems like, oh, well, if you had Kevin, if Kevin Porter puts up a great game, like, now, now, now it's perfectly fine to just jam the optimal. At that point, it's like, oh, I already got a good guy. Let me just play all the chalk. Like, dude, you don't do that before the slate. So why are you doing it after the slate? Even after the slate begins with late swap, you still want to have leverage in your lineup to win first place. You still need to have points that your opponents are that don't have. And there are t- so many combinations that are out against you that you still want to share the least with other the least amount of combinations with other people that have that same player in their lineup. And especially in large field, good luck, you know, you oh, you have Kevin Porter and 30% of the field has Kevin Porter and it's like, okay, I have the same PMR as 360 other lineups that all have four spots empty of different salary configurations. Good luck figuring out what all all 360 lineups have. You're not, you're not going to be able to. In a small field contest, you may be competing with three lineups. And th- then that's easy. I can click through all three and go, okay, they, mo- they most likely have X, Y, and Z. This one probably has X, Y. This one paid up at center, so most likely has that. Then you could go, okay, what's the best way to go from here? And maybe, maybe playing the highest projected lineup blocks 
all three of those lineups easily and go, I'm good. Move on. Or maybe you and maybe you find that you can't. So you go, I'm gonna get slightly different here. So I'm not these three lineups all have the same two players, two players, two players, two players. So maybe I pivot off of one of them and create a three v three versus a two v two. As long as I'm not giving up much projection to do so. You're doing the same thing even after the slate locks. It's the same concepts. How do you win first place in a GPP? By increasing the variance of your lineup. It's what I mean, dude, it's this is stuff out of theory of daily fantasy sports. Theory of DFS.com. Get the fundamentals masterclass, the 15-hour fund. I mean, I have two courses, right? How to think like a professional DFS player and how to apply profitable DFS strategies for advanced players. That comes with the Excel tools. These are fundamental concepts of game theory. Like that doesn't change. Like, oh, this is the late locks, and now all of a sudden it's 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 a uh, the concepts are reversed now. No, they're they're still exactly the same. In order to be win first place, you want as much leverage as pot that you need to beat out your opponents. And now as the slate goes on and you see scores and ownership, you could better adjust to that. You could bet you could better gauge it. You, you're more accurate now. But so many people are like, oh, I'm 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 up, so I'm gonna jam in chalk to block people, and then they come in 12th place. They go, okay, 12th place ain't that bad. I was close, but I got X, Y, and like, dude, you would have done, you would have probably been better off like not jamming in the chalk at that point. Finding a way to be different. Yeah, you could have easily come in uh, 150th place instead of 12th. It gave you more shot at first place. And then when you're all the way behind, and you have a snowflake in your lineup, and you're like, ah, I have no shot at first place, people just like either give up, right? Either one, they give up, they just, die. I'm not going to swap at all. I'm just going to let myself come in dead last. Or they swap onto like the most risky plays possible. And they make their whole lineup full of risky stuff. Going, ah, maybe I could rescue myself by getting off of this chalk and getting off of that chalk and getting off of that chalk. It's like, like, dude, how do you, your, your lineup is now projected like 25 points lower than everyone else's. How do you ever expect to get up to the cash line? Because you're not competing against anything else other than the cash line. So you might as well at that point just jam in the jam in a cash lineup. Your your goal is a cash line and jam in a cash lineup. But people think the opposite. Would benefit to me. Anything else in the YouTube chat before get out of here for today? This is what we talk about. And then you know I had to go through the YouTube chat. We could have talked about basketball. We have the NFL showdown slate, right? We got NFL pre-lock show later tonight. Uh, it's got NBA, what, Grinders Live. Are they doing Grinders Live? I don't know. No, they probably do a crunch time, but whatever. We got NBA stuff. We got the Swole cast coming up, coming up next. I think they're doing a show at noon. Scores and odds stuff on the, the Scores and Odds YouTube channel. With all the betting picks and stuff. You could s- subscribe there. Got an MMA Ground and Pound podcast recording tonight. That's uh, for premium members. So sign up for Roto Grinders Combo Premium. 
Be me, Mike, and Liam breaking down the fights for uh, UFC 282. Then I'll be talking about MMA a little tomorrow for a little free show. Fighting Fridays. Fighting Fridays. So, uh, so yeah, so hit that thumbs up button. On your way out the door, it helps us out. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. And uh, and I will see you, see you tomorrow. Talking about the, uh, the UFC 282 slate. Talking about strategies. Maybe late, some late swap stuff for that also. So, uh, so come and join me as I answer your DFS strategy questions. I'll at least try to. I try, I try to as honestly as possible. I'll give you the real deal. I'll give you the real answers here. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.